The following is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. Parking the Bus podcast can be followed on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, or if you have an Amazon Echo by simply saying, Alexa, play the Parking the Bus podcast. Don't forget to check out the show's homepage at www.parkingthebusmedia.com. You're listening to the Parking the Bus podcast's continuing coverage of Euro 2020 here on the PTB Media Network. What's up, PTB Nation? Welcome to another episode of the Parking the Bus podcast, episode 58 tonight. And once again, it's another Euro 2020 edition. Of course, it's the third day of round of 16 action at Euro 2020, of course, being played in 2021. As you know, tonight is Monday, June the 28th of 2021, but we are celebrating, enjoying And elevating, if you will, this experience that is Euro 2020, one of the great tournaments, I think, that has been played. I mean, there is just a storyline day after day in this competition. Every night, I've got something to talk about here, just about. Okay? And today was no different. I mean, today, there was no shortage of of talking points, no shortage of storylines. What? football we had on display today what matches we had to look at it was absolutely phenomenal two matches where it is three to one with under 10 minutes to play looking like the two favorites are going through and then suddenly something gets into the underdog something gets in to the team something gets in to the side that is down And before you know it, it is 3-3. Both matches ended up that way. 3-3 at the end of of 90 minutes today. Absolutely phenomenal stuff. I mean, we finished the first match. And, of course, Derek Ray on ESPN here in the United States said, good luck to France and Switzerland for having to follow this one up, he said. Well, challenge accepted. Challenge heard. France and Switzerland, that match lived up just as much as the first match. And, I mean, what a storyline tonight. The the favorites, the world champions, crash out after having been ahead with nine minutes to play. If I'm not mistaken, there were nine minutes remaining when none other than the Swiss Army Knife himself named by Nino Torres of Gold TV. The Swiss Army Knight, Paris Sefetovic. Listen, as a Benfica supporter, I can't believe my eyes. I mean, I had to I had to take a, a second look at it. Paris Sefetovic, are you kidding me? Yes, Paris Sefetovic with the double tonight. Two goals for the Swiss Army Knife, helping his country get to extra time. 
He was then substituted, but they would they would get a late equalizer, and France was shell shocked. No question about it. Shell shocked. Completely shell shocked was the French side. And again, it looks like I'm having internet problems. I'm really getting sick of this internet problems that I keep having. I'm gonna keep talking. Hopefully, this is gonna sound good on your end. Um again, what a day of football. My goodness. How about Alvaro Morata? Who was watching last night when I said it's probably going to be about time for Alvaro Morata to factor? About time that Alvaro Morata gets his name on the score sheet. He can only he can only get shut out for so long. Alvaro Morata delivers an extra time today for España. Nuestros hermanos are on their way to the quarterfinals, and that is not what I expect. I expected Spain to win, but not like that. I was thinking that Spain were going to be the ones to go to a penalty shootout and win. At Fade My Play will be here in just a little while to discuss these matches with me. He'll be joining me shortly, and um, we'll talk about both matches and probably catch up a little bit on the weekend's matches as well. I'm looking forward to getting his thoughts. We'll definitely we'll definitely talk about tomorrow's a big one. It's the early game tomorrow, no doubt about it. It is England versus Germany. And I must admit right here to everyone right now, Leo couldn't make it. We made a challenge. He was going to go head-to-head with Fade My Play. He was, they were going to go at it over this England-Germany game. It was his idea. He issued the challenge. He thinks we're crazy for thinking that Germany is going to win. He can't make it tonight, guys. He can't make it. He had a prior, He had something come up. I know it came up. It was an emergency episode of his show. Um, how nice! How nice of him to go head to head against me, and uh, very, very, very nice of him. No, I'm just kidding. But let me tell you, the next time he comes on this show, those of you that are watching Saturday, he's going to get muted the next time he goes and runs an unpaid promo on my show. The guy comes in here and just starts to do a Manscaped read. And like I said, it's a read. If you listen to any soccer podcast, you've heard that read every day because they, they all do it. We've all heard the Marijuana Fellaini uh, line. Well, let me tell you, when Leo comes back, he's getting muted. First second, he starts selling product on this show that I'm not getting a cut of, that's for sure. All right. Um, and like I said, when fade, when at Fade My Play gets here in a little bit, we will we'll obviously talk about that too. And again, I can't say enough about I can't say enough about this prediction yesterday, okay? Shout out Dave Pereira 86. He's he's in the chat again. I see him there. He called it yesterday. He said the over on France Switzerland was money in the bank. Dave. Well done, brother. Money in the bank it was and is. And I uh, welcome back. I see you there in the chat. What what a prediction. Okay, he got that one right. I called Alvaro Morata to score. I'm I'm feeling like a hundred bucks. Um, 
it just this was this was a day I, it, you know when you watch these tournaments okay it's one thing when you're a neutral it's another thing when your team is in it i as you know had my team in it until yesterday today i watch as a full neutral in the sense that none of these matches have any bearing obviously on my team until today there's always the chance of you know i want to see certain contenders eliminated perhaps to avoid them okay today I come to you as a full, a full-fledged neutral, and let me tell you, it was fun to be a neutral today. It sure was. Oh man! Again, I I would have I would have liked for Croatia to get through to squeak through. I thought when they came back and got the three-three that they might do it, but they were just out of gas at that point. And again, Alvaro Morata just said, "Okay, it's time for me to do something here. It's time for me to make my mark." And um. Just just a great match. I mean, again, uh, either one of these matches could have been called match of the tournament. I think the France the France match got a little bit better. And look who's here. He was so busy that he's 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 in the chat. He was so busy to join us today that he is now in the chat and he's saying Switzerland looked like they were flying around the pitch on a mystical creature. That mystical creature is the Swiss Army knife, Harris Safanovich. I know how much you love that player. <laughs> and that will no doubt spawn a reaction from him. <laughs> I'm going to put this up. <laughs> so that's where he is right now, apparently. Okay. Um, all right. All right. Um, again, when at Fade My Play gets here in a little bit, we uh, listen, you're not here to defend yourself. And you're not here to defend yourself, so everything's fair game. So that's for you, Fade My Play, right there. Shaka with Shaka with the game winning penalty kick in the shootout. And I think he's going to leave the chat now after I did that. But it listen, um, what a day of I can't get over this. The, these matches were just outstanding. Okay. No, they weren't played well. I don't mean they were played well. I mean, it was, these were defensive nightmares, absolute casualties of defense. I mean, both France and Spain's back lines were, were shattered. Leo is calling me right now. I am live. And he's on my phone calling me. I think I, I think I, I crossed the line there. <laughs> Well, that that was for that was for for Saturday and um, and <laughs> that was for Saturday and, and taking some shots at some of of my guys. And here's Dave, as you can see here. Dave is saying Bolo had a game. Bolo was fantastic today, Dave. Yes, he was. Um, what belief in that Swiss team? What amazing belief! They were the only people that believed in them to win today. I I think so. Truly, truly, deep down, believe that they were going to win. And I just got a text message from Leo. I'm not going to repeat it, but fair game. We're all done. <laughs> I definitely crossed the line, but we're, we're good. Um, Mbolo had a really good game. Also, um, just, again, that team can, they just, did not die. What? Think about this for a minute, everybody. They missed a penalty kick. 
that would have put them ahead 2-0. Your average team crumbles after that, especially when France come down and get two right after in short succession. I mean, how many teams are mentally strong enough to turn around and still keep going after that? And shout out to Karim Benzema as well. Two more goals for the guy. Uh, outcasted for five and a half years from this national team. And as a Portugal fan, I can say today, I wouldn't. I'm glad he was not on the pitch in Paris five years ago. Um, perhaps one of those probably go in if it's him on the other end. And we never see that extra time victory. So, um, again, um, getting distracted again by one of our guests here in the chat. But that's all right. <laughs> He's telling me to check my phone. I already, I already addressed the text message. I said I got it. I said game over. I, I made my point. It's over. All is fair in uh, football and podcasting. <laughs> And, um, yeah, just Switzerland. What mental fortitude to come back after that. What mental fortitude to come back after missing a penalty kick. And, you know, it was funny because Ricardo Rodriguez steps up. I mean, he, he, he hit that penalty kick right to the spot. The same exact spot where... Uh, Hugo Lloris dove to on Cristiano's penalty kick in match day three. Okay. He hit the spot, or I should say he hit it right to the same spot as Cristiano Ronaldo, and that's where Hugo Lloris was going this time. I'm not sure if he thought he was going to get Lloris to dive the other way again. Um, I think Lloris kind of read him well. He guessed correctly, of course. Uh, we can't say the same in the shootout as... Um, he he couldn't come up with the save in the shootout, but in the in the ninety minutes he comes up with a big, big penalty save, keeps France in the match, and like we said, moments later, Karim Benzema makes it one one. Moments after that, two one, and I thought at that point that that France were going to coast. Paul Pogba makes it three to one, and at that point it was checkmate. It should have been checkmate. They are the world champions. But again, you can never count these games over before they're over. We had seen it earlier in the day. We had seen Croatia come down from the same exact deficit right around the same uh, time in the match. We had seen it. And, you know, we get to it, and Switzerland make it 3-2, to two. and Fade My Play is here. I'm going to bring him in right now. Yes. What's up? Get in. Sorry I'm late. Oh, no problem at all. We we had a little bit of a – we had a troll in the in the chat by the name of that DGNs United who couldn't make it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So Dave here is saying, would it shock you if the Swiss get throttled the next round? Honestly, probably not. It, this tournament has kind of gone that way. Um, yeah, We've beat up Spain since day one. And suddenly Spain have come alive with 10 goals in two matches. Mm. And um, I honestly, I don't think anything can surprise me anymore in this tournament. 
What do you think about that? I think it's uh, it's a good point, but I don't think Spain's going to be the ones to do it because of the way Switzerland mm-hmm. are set up. Uh, as you saw from, you know, I know we'll get uh, to this, but as you saw from the game, Switzerland are a team that soaks up pressure and counters. And so they're used to being able to handle the ticky-tack style of play that Spain mm-hmm. does. I think that game has underwritten all over it. I don't think we're going to see a thriller like we did today because France and Switzerland today were set up in the same formations. It was like for like at pretty much every stage or excuse me, every position on the pitch. Uh, and so in those type of games, usually talent just wins out. And really it mm-hmm. should have. Um, whereas against Spain, Switzerland will be extremely defensive minded, whereas Spain will control the ball the majority of the time. Uh, it won't be back and forth like it was today. It'll be very much Spain trying to break them down. And I can see a, uh, you know, one nil, two nil type of victory, maybe a two one, uh, but I see low scoring. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think we saw today why Spain relies so heavily on position possession because when they're forced to defend, they've proven they can't, they can, they can, you know, possess. If they lose the ball, they press and they try to win it back quickly. If they don't win it back quickly, they find themselves in all kinds of trouble defensively. And again, they, they had a three, one lead less than 10 minutes ago. And they could not keep when they had, when possession is exactly what they needed. They couldn't keep the ball enough to see Hmm. out that result. And, um, and I think well, that Croatia just just gassed out in the comeback and we got to extra time and there was nothing left in the tank. Yeah, agreed. I mean, you know, and, and I don't know if you've already talked about the individual games themselves, but France, their, their downfall was, in my opinion, uh, a combination of, you know, arrogance, but really Didier Deschamps. Uh, I think yeah. 100% he is at fault in that loss um either that or he has no control over the players and either way that is his fault um but he brings on two different players for a defensive mm-hmm. tactic he takes out benzema he takes out griezmann yep. and he brings on two defensive players mm-hmm. to just hey we're up 3-1 10 minutes left you know i think he brought them on in the late 70s yeah like let's just ride this out but even though the players were on the pitch, France was still pushing for a fourth goal. And Mm -hmm. I don't understand what possible world any manager worth their salt says with nine minutes left, let's just sit on our two goal lead and make sure they don't bring it close because that'll give them life. But Mm -hmm. instead they do exactly the opposite. They keep trying to score goals. They keep giving the ball to Kylian Mbappe, who just, you know, a fair play to him. I believe he's a top five striker in the world. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Had a absolutely terrible tournament, absolutely terrible day at the office. But yeah. he keeps missing shots, and they give the ball right back to them, whether it's from a goal kick, whether it's from a foul. I don't understand why they made no effort whatsoever to just hold the ball, pass mm-hmm. it back and forth. Everything they did for the full 90 minutes was attacking and that doesn't make sense when you have a two goal lead it makes sense when you're down one it makes sense when you're tied it even makes sense when you're up one because you want to make sure you get that insurance goal with how well they were playing but the fact that Deschamps did not say what the fuck are you doing stop doing long balls over the top stop doing through balls we need to control this if they had made it to 87 fine you concede a goal it's three two yeah then you just sit on 81 whatever 
But instead, yeah. they they attack forward. The goal is the result of a bad pass. And then on the break, 3-2 with nine minutes left and stoppage time, mm-hmm. that is 100% down to the French style of play in the final 15 minutes. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And again, they put themselves in a, in a situation. Managers do this, and it, one of my things that really gets under my skin in these type of matches is you always know there's the possibility of penalties. Hmm. You keep your penalty shoes on the pitch. I mean, he, yeah. even in a two-goal lead, he had the situation, and, and even if it's not the penalty shooters, like you said, they took their you know key attacking guys out. And then they had to try to come back. And now they have a team that is missing, you know, everyone but Mbappe, essentially, in the offensive side of the ball. That that to go find a winner was going to become very difficult at that point. And, and Kinsley and Coleman almost got it in the 90-plus yeah. whatever. I mean, he almost that would have been the most insane in, goal. Right. But after that, it, they were missing – they were missing pieces in order to go find that winning goal. And again, they're missing guys that would have otherwise taken penalties. But so again, this kind of goes back to, first of all, you know, okay, let's forget about the fact it never should have even gone to extra time because you had a two goal lead with 10 minutes left. That's, that's down to poor defensive tactics, but in extra time, they were playing for penalties. Like Switzerland looked mm-hmm. way more dangerous in extra time. Yeah. I thought France had a couple of chances that, you know, Mbappe, just absolutely mishandled but still France looked you know very much complacent they looked like they were playing for the penalty and I said this I was literally live tweeting the whole thing like I know the rest of the world was but I was just like if this goes to penalties put everything on Switzerland like they Mm -hmm. are going through and I also said in in I think it was like the 70th minute or something like that that Mbappe has to be the biggest individual disappointment of the tournament so far and then he, you know, misses a through ball, like doesn't even put it on target twice in the last 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then we get to extra time and he looks kind of like rattled. And when we go to Pens, and I see, you know, Pogba and Kempembe mm-hmm. and these French players going up and taking penalties, I was like, there is no fucking way Deschamps is stupid enough, like <laughs> has the unbelievable gall to make Mbappe his fifth penalty taker. And mm-hmm. sure enough, he did. And I was live tweeting the whole thing. I'm like, bet on him to miss it. 100% you could will miss see it. it. You, you knew it. I mean, if you, you, could see it. if you watched any of his play so far in the tournament, forget mm-hmm. today. His play yeah. in the tournament has been bad. He, he just hasn't had the boots on to finish goals. Mm-hmm. They've been going wide. He hasn't hit the target for most of his shots that have been open. And you just saw his face being like, I like I would have I would have bet the fucking mortgage that he would miss that because he mm-hmm. had the look of a scared deer but also again like that sucks for him he's a young player he'll be back You're right. not worried he already has a World Cup like you know yeah. he'll be fine but how fucking dare I'll bet every single France fan out there just wants to kill Didier Deschamps because mm-hmm. who the fuck are you kidding putting him fifth like if you you have to use them at one point if it keeps yeah. going and going right. The key right. is with penalties is the most the most low pressure spot is the second penalty taker sure. followed by the third. But mm-hmm. one four and five there's a lot of pressure. Five mm-hmm. when the game's on the line is the most possible. You make it 
Okay, you keep your team alive. You miss it, you lose. And you give that spot to the one person who hasn't looked like they could do any, they look like he fucking couldn't kick a door if he was standing next to it. Like it's unbelievable to me that he did that Deschamps chose to do that order. And because of that, they lost. And because of that, deservedly so. I mean, I, I cannot, I'm so f- fucking frustrated about it because I, I didn't have France to win. Um, you know, I just bet the over, thank goodness. Uh, but like, I mean, anyone, anyone could see that Mbappe was not right. And he's an amazing, I, again, top five attacker in the world for me. I truly believe that. He's so young as well. He's going to be unbelievable for his career. But he was not right. If you have him shoot in your first five, it cannot be in the five spot. You're batting cleanup with your weakest player right now, especially after Pogba had that worldy. Mm-hmm. I mean, every other penalty from Switzerland and France, nine penalties were taken with such clinical confidence. Sure. And then the one player who has not had a fucking shot on target, who has looked terrible, who has more offsides than shots in the tournament. Think about that. More yeah. offsides than shots mm-hmm. in the tournament. Clearly not right. And you choose him to save your country. Like, nah, that was that's on Deschamps, in my opinion. You can't blame, you cannot blame Mbappe. He was obviously not yeah. right. And you put the world on his shoulders and he crumbled. And ESPN FC had a discussion about this. Frank LeBouf, their French uh, representative, if you will, mm. said that the players picked their own their own order and they picked the oh, five okay. that were going to shoot, well, that, which does happen often. Me. But typically, typically, I forget who said it, if it was Casey Keller or if it was somebody else that said, yeah, but usually the coach picks the order after you have the volunteers to shoot. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, you I volunteer guess. for it. But right. the coach should pick the order. But also, I don't know if you yeah. heard about this. Mm-hmm. So... France moved to a 3-4-3. Yeah. For this game. Why yeah. did they do that? Because fucking Paul Pogba told the Champs that's what they should do. Yeah. If Paul Pogba, of all people, <laughs> is telling you how to run your team, you should not be managing it. And if you can't deal with the heavy personalities and the star mm-hmm. power of the players on your team, you should not be managing. Mm-hmm. And like I fucking hate Frank DeBoer. I think he's arguably the worst manager in international football. Sure. But the way that Deschamps managed the game today and the way that France has looked this tournament and the fact that you have a player defining how you are going to put out your team formation is just insane to me. I mean, that's just, it's inexcusable. It's why they lost and deservedly so. And I'm glad they're out of the tournament because that, I mean, other than other than a few moments from Benzema and Pogba, France does not look good. And the way they've played has shown such arrogance, as though they were going to sweep through everybody and just whatever. And just mm-hmm. Yeah, there so was amazing. a lot of arrogance in, in their side, in their media, in all of the commentary you hear around this team was, well, we're going to win it. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And that's always a, sign, a bad sign when you get that around a team. Because Absolutely. the players, whether they hear it directly or not, it feeds through to them. And so is it safe to assume you would agree with this statement that if Zinedine Zidane is managing this team, they're still in the tournament? A hundred percent. Again. Yeah, I agree. Like I cannot, I cannot express to you this. It's such a funny thing. I was listening to a podcast uh, after yours actually a -hmm. few days ago. And this guy was talking about the way that um, what team was it that we were talking about? Oh yeah. It was Frank DeBoer. Of course it was, Mm -hmm. but he was saying like, so you get a red card. 
anybody that's ever played club level soccer, Sunday league, you mm -hmm. know, for, for guys like me who are overweight and over 30, mm -hmm. you know, guys playing in those type of leagues know, oh, we have 10 men. So what we should do is set up more defensively. Right. Instead, Frank DeBoer keeps his team and says attack. And what happens? They get caught yeah. on a fucking like, you know, ridiculous corner kick and then get caught mm -hmm. out again on the break. And it's like that is 100 percent right. down to poor management. And then you look exactly what France did today. They were up by two goals. And instead of just sitting back and playing defense, what do they do? They keep attacking, trying to show off yeah. because of the fact that, I mean, Benzema's first goal, absolute fantastic first touch, mm -hmm. great finish. Benzema's second goal, Griezmann did all the hard work. The, the passing was beautiful and, you know, it was well-deserved. Mm -hmm. And then the Pogba goal, a worldie. They were just like, mm, feeling ourselves. We can make this four or five. Sure. Why? Why? Who are you impressing? All of you are top paid players and you got beat by half these people are on, you know, fucking sixth and seventh and bottom tier teams in Bundesliga and, and the Austrian league. And just, you know, I just, I, I can't stand that shit. And if you can't control your players, then you shouldn't be managing at the international level. And it's just, I think Zenedine Zidane would be perfect because yeah. he has been that cock of the walk type of player. He's been that guy that, would be hard yeah. to control, so he knows how to do it. But here's a, here's a great uh, statistic to take away. Other than an own goal, France has started every game trailing. Yeah, they did. They surrendered first every game other than Other that. than an own goal, they have trailed in every single game. Yeah. And that, that comes down to coaching. That's a lack of preparation. I mean, it's it's <laughs> not – yeah, and it's not just preparation. It's also just like – you take so long to get into a game mm -hmm. and you take so long to figure out what's going on that clearly you're not making adjustments before yeah. games. Like you said, you're not making them in game and your players are either not doing what you're telling them or you're not telling them anything mm -hmm. like France. France to me seems like, you know, the type of team where a manager is there purely to say that they have one on the touchline to follow the rules, but really it's ruled by these, unbelievable stars like Pogba, like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Mbappe and Benzema isn't like that, but you know, all these, all these players that are so unbelievably talented yet mm -hmm. seemingly can't put it together. I mean, yeah, it's, it's like watching England in a much more spectacular fashion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, they played a three, four, one, two, they went with Loris and goal, Varane, uh, Lingley and Kimpembe in the back. Benjamin Pavard and Adrian Rabio is the wingbacks again. Now they do have an issue with injuries, so they are short of outside left-sided backs. Rabio was subbed in in the last game to have to fill in there. It looks like they went to this system. Like you said, if it was if it was suggested by Pogba, the idea is that because they don't have the traditional outside backs, that this would add more cover. It left them more exposed. It did the opposite. Yeah, exactly. Um, Pogba and, and Conte in the center, obviously. Griezmann playing behind Benzema and Mbappe. Again, it's not that Griezmann's playing bad for me, but it's like he's not making a difference in mm. any of these matches. Yeah. I think I think Griezmann, though, is purpose-serving in a way that Mbappe kind of is in the sense that he's a danger man anywhere on the pitch. Sure. Uh, you know, and so they have to pay attention to him. He and Benzema drag attention away from Mbappe, where mm -hmm. the central focus would normally be. Yeah. Um, 
And I think that is, you know, but again, and, and this goes back to the formation selection that they ended up doing is that's the way that Switzerland plays, you know, every time they play, they've played that way for the last six sure. years. Yeah. So you are changing your formation that you've been playing with to match the style of the team that you're playing, but mm-hmm. they've been playing that way and you're right. just starting to do that. And so right. you're, understanding of how to defend that you know you pretty much made it easier in reality for switzerland because they're like oh we kind of know how Mm -hmm. what you're doing works and we know where the gaps are and how you're going to be exposed and they showed that i mean the the first goal was i mean the worst defense (laughs) you could imagine in terms of like getting ahead to the ball but the late goals the ones that really mattered were fantastic examples of just like people that look like they're not hundred percent sure of where they should be on the pitch. Like, yeah, no doubt, you know, who's covering who, Oh, do you have him? I need to step to him. You know, it's just, and, and it's funny to see that, you know, cause as a United fan, I'm used to this. Paul Pogba pulls off a worldie, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And then gets caught in possession, gives the ball yeah. away, which leads to the goal. I mean, the Those amount of those. fucking times that happens with United, it is yeah. unreal. And yeah. he does it again today. And yeah, awesome. we've talked about him a lot. And it, like you said, and usually doesn't happen when he's wearing the, the blue of the French national team. No. But, but today, that's, it, it's a classic thing we've seen from Paul Pogba since he's been at United. And, but I, and again, I feel bad because, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not a huge Pogba stand. Like, I don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. I think he's one of the best midfielders in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, just his attitude always bothers me at United. Yeah. If you don't want to be there, don't be there. But I mean, he put on a fucking masterclass today. Like, he is so damn good. And if Mbappe could learn to hold his runs or bend them or Mm -hmm. any sort of ability to stay on sides or, you know, shoot the ball well, France could have easily won this game 6-1, 7-1. You know, I mean, the amount of chances they had in the second half was unbelievable. But it's it's that same thing of just – and and you kind of see it from the way that he plays with United and and the French team in general is – they start to get in their own head like, yeah, all right, we got this. And you saw it in mm-hmm. the Hungry game. You know, they they equalize. And then for the next 10 minutes after that, it looked like it was going to be 10-1. Yeah. And then once it started going against them, then they were like kind of out of sorts and hungry had a few mm-hmm. chances to win it. And, right. you know, I mean, I just think France is so talented. And I believe – the most talented team in the world, maybe not the best, but the most talented team in the world. Too. Yeah. But they're so player soft. Player player, yeah. Yeah. They're so soft in terms of mentality. Mm-hmm. Adversity does not suit France well past right. a certain point. You know, like I've said, they've trailed in three games and those three games, they got it back. But mm-hmm. after you get past that, you know, let's argue this 65, 70 minute mark, once you get past 75 minutes, they start to fall apart. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that over and over yeah. and over. And I just, I don't know. I mean, I personally think it's like, hey, that sucks. Let's learn from this. We'll be back in the World Cup. You know, I, w- I would be shocked if they didn't go into the quarterfinals of the World Cup. You know, well, I mean, at least so yeah. damn good. At least I like I would expect them to win it. I'll bet they'll be the odds on favorite. I think this is just a blip on the radar, but what it really mm-hmm. says is one, Deschamps cannot manage this team. You know, it's like how he was at PSG. You can't manage that star power. Yeah. And two, they need to get off their fucking knobs and stop <laughs> and stop being uh, so full of themselves when they do anything positive. 
And it's I like that you just mentioned that mental point. And just before you got in, I was I was hitting on this, but I'll I'll say it again. Mm. How about the mental strength of Switzerland to miss a penalty that miss would have put them up two nil, fall behind two one like minutes later. Oh, I think I, I literally going. think it was five minutes later they were I down think it was. one. Yeah, it was very very quick after that. They were yeah. so close to to going up two nil. Next thing you know, they're down two one, but they're not phased. Like you said, they play this way all the. T- they have a confidence in their system, in their identity, who they are. They're mm-hmm. very consistent. And they didn't panic where oh, most teams me, implode me. at that point. Four minutes after the missed penalty. Four minutes, yeah. It, was, it didn't take long at all. It felt like it happened really quick. Yeah. And where would France be without Benzema this tournament? And they almost left him out. I mean, and they almost left him out. <laughs> he had five goals in the tournament and they yeah. almost left him out. Like, yeah. I think he's arguably the most underrated player, you know, in recent history. I would say so. Underappreciated for sure. Underappreciated is probably the better the better mm-hmm. term. Not underrated because he is fantastic, but just underappreciated because mm-hmm. what he does for Real Madrid and what he does for France is just clinical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and then again, they they also have the equalizing goal called offside. Mm. Again, that can demoralize the team in the closing minutes. Yeah. That can be the idea. Oh, there was our chance. We lost it. No, they just go create another one. And like you said, we get the mistake by Paul Pogba ends up going the other way. And Gavranovic, you know, after the 90 minute mark makes it three, three going to extra time. And it goes to, we finally get to see penalties third extra time match in the tournament. First one to make it to penalties. And like you said, the first eight or first nine shots perfectly taken. Even Kapembe, who looked, looked like he didn't want to be there, but I think that was part of the mental game. He absolutely buried it, and then you could see the the. I don't know if it was relief or just or just happiness when he scored. Yeah. Well, no. Like I said, yeah, he loves to make mistakes in big moments. Yeah, and he and he was at fault too with that second goal. So don't don't excuse him away. But yeah, I mean, his penalty and Pogba's were unreal. Like just no saving with five keepers in there. Here was my first thought. We talk about Man United. We find our way talking about them almost every episode. And um, go back to that Europa League final. Why was Pogba subbed off in the final seconds of extra time to not? To, I'm assuming to not take a penalty. Uh, I would I would argue it didn't matter because we had all ten outfield players make a penalty. So sure, yeah. sure, that's like, a good point. Watching watching that, any substitutions didn't matter because you're asking like De Gea in that moment. I would say I knew Mbappe would miss it more, but I was watching it with a buddy of mine and, you know, we're going to eight, nine. And I'm like, if this gets to De Gea, he is one bajillion percent going to brick this. And of course he, you know, soft kicks it straight at him. But like, yeah, I I can't blame that. I mean, Pogba has a history of missing penalties anyway. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, I mean, if all ten of your outfield players score and you have to rely on goalkeepers, it's. If I'm not mistaken, off. he shot first, right? Who De Gea? No, no, no um, he shot Pogba today. Oh yeah, he he yeah, came Pogba straight up. Pogba went first. Right. Yep. Yeah. Was Gavranovic and, and then Pogba buried it. Yep. Buried it. I mean, he had the real long pause, penalties. which makes you wonder. <laughs> you always wonder if that pause is nerves or if that's intentional. That and was a huge pause and a little yeah. like you know. 
double step. I, you know, I yeah. thought he was going to miss it if I'm honest, but he proved me very, very, very sure. wrong. And then you had, uh, so after that, you had Shar, Giroud, Akanji, Taram, Vargas, Kempembe, and Mehmedi all score. Yep. Killian Mbappe steps up. And like you said, I, I felt it too. And I think the camera helped. And we got the camera from right behind him. So we're seeing the goal. Yeah. And as you're watching his, his approach, you can see where he's going to kick it. And you can see. I mean, you can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, you and can you see, see that Summer we, knows where it's going. Yeah. I was just going to say, like, when you watch the slow mo, like, before the ball is even touched. Summer yeah. is moving directly where it's going to go. His hands are already placed where the ball, yeah. like it, it was the most telegraphed thing. And what's funny is when he was walking up to the ball, they showed the crowd and all of the French fans were just like this. Like yeah. I know most you people could see it in their like, faces, oh, so nervous, but nah, they knew they knew. Yeah. You could see it. You could definitely see it. I mean, um, I, again, I, I don't want to say, I don't want to go back to it cause I know I ranted about it, but how do you watch what Mbappe has done? Right. In the previous 120 minutes that you were on the touchline watching happen, mm-hmm. and for the previous four or three games before that, and you watch what he does, and then you're like, I'm going to make him take the most important penalty. I mean, it just it boggles my mind. If not the manager, one of the more senior players in the side needed to step up and say, I'm going to yeah, go fifth. That's a good point, that- too. What a bunch of fucking pussies that they made yeah. their youngest player. Take exactly. I mean, don't get me wrong. He probably was like, you know, I got this. Don't worry well, about I'm sure it. He but, would, I'm sure he know, did say that. Yeah. Like any of them. It, literally anyone. I, if I, I'm not joking at all. If yeah. I were Shams, I would have had Pavard, Lengley, anybody. Anybody. Take that penalty. Mm-hmm. Just, uh yeah. Anything else you want to say on this one before we move to Spain and uh, in Czech? And um, I, I do have to say, as as much as I am, you know, saying Deschamps is a moron and he ruined that. He because he did lose that game for France. France was cocky and lost it. Congratulations to Switzerland because, oh, no like doubt. you said, the fight and their play. I would argue that, with the exclusion of from the missed penalty to the 80th minute, it was all France, but. Beyond that, for a majority of the game, for almost the entirety of extra time, mm-hmm. Switzerland never looked down. They never looked tired. They always looked dangerous and deservedly, in my opinion, got the win. Yeah. Because really, it should have been 2 0 in the 55th minute. Sure. And, you know, that, that would and have that been might a even, That might have crushed France right there and then. Who knows? I think it totally would have. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the fact that they missed a pen and had that equalizer called off rocks offside mm-hmm. i mean talk about fight talk about heart i congratulations to them they 100 percent deserve to be where they're at yeah no doubt all right we'll move to the earlier game then um we got croatia taking on spain mm-hmm. here is croatia's 11 uh, live uh Livakovic in goal they're playing 4-3-3 they got juranovic vida uh kaleta car and uh Gravidol, Gravidol in the back. In midfield, you got Luka Modric, Marcelo Brozovic, and uh, Mateo Kovacic. Up front, Nikola Vlasic, Bruno Petkovic, and Ante Rebic. Now, we knew that there was no Ivan Perisic in this match. Um, obviously, that's a blow for, for Croatia. Yeah. He, he's always been big for them. Spain, on the other side, also playing 4-3-3. Nice, Simone. He's a guy we're going to talk about in a minute. 
Uh, he, he gets the start again. Cesar Azpilicueta gets the, the start at right back. Eric Garcia and Laporte in the center. Jose Guaya is the left back here. Um, the three in mid is that? Yeah, he, he started over. I'm so he started over, uh, Jordi Alba, huh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I didn't notice that while, while I missed the first couple minutes of that cause it was during the work day and mm. I didn't notice that over the course of the 90 minutes, but, uh, in midfield, Sergio Busquets, uh, Coque and Pedri up front for Torres, Alvaro Mar- Morata and Pablo Sarabia. Um, I was Jesus. waiting for I was waiting for Spain to miss a penalty in this one. That seems to be their custom. <laughs> How about uh, this? How about the fact that other than Cristiano Ronaldo, the field is shooting forty four percent. Insane, penalty. isn't it? It's Cristiano Ronaldo is three for three. The rest of the tournament is seven for fifteen. Yeah, it, it's crazy. So the first first we get an own goal for it's okay we'll talk about it now Pedri yeah. plays the ball all the way back to to Unai Simon and I don't know if he loses it in the sun if he it's coming along the ground so I don't know but he just does not control the ball it goes right over his foot and into the empty goal it's that can't happen at this level like it's amazing that they ended up being forgiven this because mm-hmm. against somebody else you probably pay the you pay the ultimate price for giving away a goal like that in the 20th minute. Funny and, you say that cuz I was literally going to say I think with Perisic it would not have gone the way like after that yeah. goal it wouldn't have gone the way it did. Right, right. But credit to Spain, they don't lower their heads too much and they don't beat themselves mm-hmm. up. Sarabia levels on the 38th minute. Um the second half Azil Pueta in the 57th the Chelsea man gets on the score sheet and they're getting notice they're getting goals from from not their key goal scorers. And that's no, kind of been that, down to MO here. Yeah. Yeah. Torres Trash. Torres makes it 3-1. It should have been over at that point. 85th minute Orsic makes it uh 3-2 and then Pasalic in the 90th plus 2 uh with that nice header makes it 3-3. And finally yep. in extra time we see Alvaro Morata arrive at Euro 2020. Um, I had actually made the prediction last night that I think he's probably due to score. Yeah. Uh, and not offsides. What is And not offside. So he gets it in the hundredth, makes it four to three, and then Oyarzabal makes it five to three three minutes later. Yeah. And again, I think Croatia was just gassed once we got the extra wow. time. They had they had burned all the fuel coming back. Yeah. I mean, but this is this was a game where so you look at these games and obviously hugely similar to the France game mm-hmm. because of the fact that, you know, okay, they go down, then they're up three one, then mm-hmm. it's three three to extra time. Like unbelievable yeah, I, how that happened in two games today. Uh, same writer telling both yeah, stories. The best the best, you know, fan view freaking match day so far. I'll say that much. Um, but What's crazy is, and full credit to Spain, because I did not think they had this in them, is that they did exactly what you would expect France would have done, is they concede two late goals that really should have been avoided by just holding. Like, I mean, Spain is averaging like 64% possession in all their matches Mm -hmm. so far. So the fact that they couldn't hold the ball for the last five minutes is 
insane. Like, I mean, it, just it is insane. Wild, it's bizarre. But whatever. Uh, so they, instead of being like, shit, like, what do we do? All right, let's be smart about this. Let's not concede. Let's, you know, make sure that we retain the ball. No, they pushed everyone forward in extra time they were like no we see you're tired we have the players to be able to do this Mm -hmm. we have the talent level that's above yours we're gonna push and push and push and they did and they got two very well deserved goals i would think i would say both of those were yes because of tired legs but still very well put together goals they weren't like you know a 40 yard screamer or something like that and then you look at france who, as soon as they were in extra time, were playing for penalties. They were playing to not yeah. concede. And right. the kind of fight that Spain showed, I did not think they had in them. I thought that Me they either. would right. show 100% uh, once it went to extra time. Although, once you saw how tired they were, you know, it makes sense. But yeah. still, I just, Spain showed dangerousness. You know, they showed that they have that edge to them in extra time. I think that, you know, they. What surprised me most was that they leveled before halftime. I thought that was very impressive that they pushed mm-hmm. for that. Um, and then, yeah, like deservedly through Azpilicueta and Torres, that they should have had the game wrapped up. They gave mm-hmm. up two sloppy goals and they were like, you know what? We shouldn't have done that. Let's make it right. And they did. They scored not one, but two back to back. And you see that kind of edge and you see that kind of fire from teams that, you know, usually from teams that are, um what's the word i'm looking for that are a little bit less than the top tier of teams mm-hmm. because they have that fire and drive of we you know people think we're the underdog yeah and i think we had some of that because people that are upper saying, mid-tier yes yeah, spain has looked terrible spain aren't as good as you know they haven't had a team this bad in 25 years their you know group stage was terrible until last game where they were playing a bullshit team you know everyone's been saying they have been very disappointing and i'll bet that fueled a little bit of this bit of this extra time game of like, Hey, people mm-hmm. think Croatia is going to roll us over in this extra time right. or in penalties. Let's get it done. And you didn't see that from France and, you know, fair play to Spain. And I think they'll have more trouble with the Swiss than, you know, the books will probably make, but mm-hmm. they looked, they looked dangerous. And I think for a team that had scored one goal. Yeah. I, I think I, Danny Olmo came into this game very well too. And as in the extra time, I thought he was pretty important. Mm-hmm. Um, and just look at the names that that didn't play for Spain today. Rodri, he came in in the hundred and first, but uh, you got Marcos Llorente didn't play. Tiago Alcantara didn't play. Gerard Moreno didn't play today. No. So Jordi, he, Alba, I, Jordi yeah. Alba came in in the seventy seventh, and Pau Torres came in in the seventy seventh. He was another you know normal start. Luis Enrique's moved things around, and. Uh, I guess yeah. had some courage to leave some key guys out of the team and and go with some different names that yeah. at the end of I the mean, day, the, the team got it done when it mattered most. I think, again, like, you know, the Croatia opener, the OG. Mm-hmm. Throws everything. I'm not going to go ahead and say <laughs> that's like, you know, the Portugal OGs where it was mm-hmm. probably going to be a goal and then, right. you know, an unlucky deflection or clearance. Like, right. that that was a soft OG. Mm-hmm. And outside of that, I thought Spain played extremely well for, you know, the next 70 minutes until the sure. 85th when they gave up about yeah. one. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Luis Enrique is definitely finding what fits, but also he seems to be really playing to his opponent, which is something yeah. that you know, oftentimes with these bigger teams like the Frances and England's and Germany's, 
you just put out your best 11 because they're so much better than everyone else yeah. that you're not really worried about it. Whereas here, it's like you can see they clearly were set up to go at this Croatia team mm -hmm. uh, from the wings because they knew they didn't have pace. They really put an emphasis on um, man matching. And I just I thought it was a good tactical uh, display yeah. from them and again like i was in, their extra time performance really impressed me because i yeah. never thought they had that in them no that exactly and and they looked really good in that extra time mm -hmm. like almost like okay enough of this let's wake up and and let, let's yeah. take care of business here we're the better team we've let them hang around let's let's end this year whereas like you said france had a whole different approach and they just mm -hmm. oh we'll take it to penalties and win there when you are france like you you don't, yeah. you don't do that for other teams. Like you're, 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 you're gifting them a coin. Flip. You're gifting them a coin flip. Exactly. When yeah. you have the better squad. And, and you don't just have the better squad, but you had a two goal lead with less than 10 minutes left like that. Yeah. You know, the best teams in the world can defend as well as attack and right. to completely throw that away the way Spain did, the way France did. I mean, how I was saying after France went up 3-1 after that Pogba goal, I was texting, you know, this group that I'm in and just saying, like, when they're good, damn, are they good? You know, like, this is where I say there's contention for the number one FIFA world rank spot. And I think France should be right up there. And then concede, concede. And it's mm -hmm. just like, oh, yeah, this is why they're not ranked number one right. in the FIFA world rankings. Because they don't, like, Belgium, I would argue, was the worst of the two teams in the Portugal game and yeah. Portugal pushing and pushing and pushing and should have had a, at least mm -hmm. a goal. Yeah. And Belgium just knew how to sit in defensively and protect their lead because yeah. of the injuries they picked up and KDB going out. Like they needed to do that. France didn't have any injuries and needed to do that and chose not, they made the conscious decision not yeah. to do that. And so you see that with Spain and you see that with France and it makes you think, well, when you're going up against an England, even though they're fucking stupid, and, and Germany and Sweden, I'm saving that for last, you know, like, <laughs> and, and Italy and Belgium, when those teams do get a one goal lead, they're not going to let you back in the way that Croatia will, you know, that the mm -hmm. way that Switzerland will. And then right. if you allow them to give up, if you give up goals to them, they're going to score a hell of a lot more than equalizers on you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. like I, I think. France is gone, so we'll see what happens. But I think Spain, you know, great performance today. But I think they're in trouble because of the fact that they just, I mean, you have all that possession and concede three goals in regulation is just, mm -hmm. you know. I, Croatia's over two and a half goals was something like plus 450. Yeah, exactly. What does that tell you? This team should not be scoring once on you. Let no, they're, they're, exactly. And, you know, you you look at it and, and he, again, like you said, they're going to be facing a Swiss team that can score goals in bunches, yeah. and a Swiss team that's going to be happy to let them possess in certain parts of the pitch and wait to counter. Mm. And I think it's actually going to be a real good chess match to see whose whose style will will win out. We'll see if Luis Enrique makes more of these kinds of of adjustments, and mm. if he builds a team to get by the Swiss. Or if he says, okay, this is our game and we're going to play this way, which I think was his mistake in the group stage was we play, we are Spain, we play, we're tiki-taka, we're going to possess and we're going to 
we're going to get, you know, whatever many goals out of having 80% of possession. Took a different approach today. And he said, okay, how do we beat this team versus how does Spain play? So I think it will be interesting to see when those two teams meet up. And I mean, I think if you're Belgium and Italy now, I think you, you're feeling really good about your chances when you, if you can get by this quarterfinal. Oh, with, yeah, with one of the favorites gone. And I mean, on the other side I'm... of the bracket with the Netherlands gone, I, again, I guess we'll use this to segue to tomorrow's matches because we got this yeah. Germany-England match, which I could see being in reality a semifinal because I think the team that wins this could have a path to the, the final time. that's, that, I, I that's really say, unobstructed. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally just going to say that in terms of the betting markets, whoever you yeah. think is going to win between England and Germany – you should just take them to reach the final. Take that future. Sure. Because yeah. now their path is, I mean, again, hey, Switzerland just beat France. And Croatia right. almost beat Spain. And Czech right. Republic beat the Netherlands. But and you got Denmark in there. who are, are Tenfold easier. It's right. I mean, it's wild. With, especially with the Netherlands out. Like, yeah, you're going to come up against who? The Czech Republic. And then the winner of the Czech and, and, and Denmark. Denmark. Yeah. And, yeah, that's, which, and that's to go to the semis and then they'll play the winner of Switzerland and Spain. Right. Like, and like you can't, you know, they'll, they'll play the, the of, well, no, they'll so play either Belgium, Italy, round, Switzerland, me. or Spain. Yeah. Yeah. Excuse me. In this next round, they will play either Sweden or Ukraine. And yes, then that's right. In the that's semifinal, right. They'll play either the Czech Republic or Spain, Switzerland. So right, right. Again, Which I think, with all yeah. due respect, you can't ask for a better semifinal opponent no, than what no. they're lining up with. They have the easiest um, path for sure. But how yeah. interesting is this? That one of the futures I put on was that the winner of the tournament would come out of the group of death, group F, and gonna, France is out, Portugal's, yeah, Portugal's out, out, obviously Hungary's out. Tomorrow, yeah. it's if it could be. I mean, pretty, pretty I know you and I both don't, four group yeah. F teams are out. Yeah, it says something. And I said at the beginning of the tournament that it wouldn't surprise me if mm. the big dogs go down because they play in the top leagues and they played more this year. And yep. it was a very condensed season. And it was actually the end of last season and the start of this season were like went from one right into the other. There was almost no layoff in, in yeah. some countries. So I think some of that's coming to fruition. And maybe that's some of what France's problem is, too. And but what the hell that was sorry you look at this Ger- this germany england matchup now hmm. um i think there's some doubts with a couple of the germany players they're showing flu like symptoms so uh shit I, yeah no i know fucking way i haven't heard that, that yet i had heard that tonight on espn um hopefully it's nothing because that can mean anything let's be honest they could sneeze and They'll call it that, but um, you know, uh, it's it's just something we can't thing ever. If they get a free pass to the quarterfinals because of COVID, yeah, it's. But for now, the probable lineup it looks like Neuer, uh, Ginter, Hummels, Rudiger, Gossens, Kimmich, Gundogan, Cruz with the three in attack. uh, Thomas Muller, Kai Havertz behind Serge Gnabry, England. I love when they post these probable lineups because, well, 
we've talked about Garrett Southgate, and I don't think there's a such thing as a probable lineup. Nothing is probable with him. Um, but it's showing well, them in a, going we to a three-man back line as well, which is he, interesting. He, he will 100% be starting Raheem Sterling. We know that. Did you catch the episode Leo was on Saturday? Uh, he I watched literally like came in here, and he he's all on England. So... And he's all about Raheem Sterling, of course, of course because he he's watch, he's watching it through sky blue sunglasses. Well, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, he can say what he wants because, again, it's like, you know, the product or whatever. But like Raheem Sterling, and I say this every year, he would be the runaway golden boot winner in every tournament yeah. he's in if he could finish. Yeah. And it's showing again. He's had... So many chances. And the mm-hmm. fact he only has two goals is just like, I mean, we're talking, you know, Mbappe like misses, like just yeah. right next to the goal and can't put it on target. And mm-hmm. if you if you take off those blue shaded sunglasses and watch him play, like if they just did attack him on only him, mm-hmm. and you're like, wow, look at the movement and look at his ability to get into the right positions and then do nothing with it. Mm-hmm. You would not be, I mean, it's his, his two goals because they're two winners. People think that he's having a good tournament and like, mm-hmm. holy shit, listening to like real, you know, soccer analysts and listening to players and ex players and pundits say the exact, like, they're just echoing what we're saying. They're saying right. like, really he's had a mediocre tournament and mm-hmm. two match winners make it a better tournament than it is. But I mean, I've watched some, so I watch like player breakdowns to see how they're, you know, being worked on in what they're doing against certain teams. Sure. And I watch Sterling's against um, uh, against Scotland, and it's literally like he has he takes the ball into the box and has nine touches before choosing to run down to the touchline and then try for go down for a penalty, which mm-hmm. doesn't get called. And it's like nine touches in the box. Mm-hmm. And you don't pass it or put a shot like that's mm-hmm. that is just so indicative of his style of play and why he works really well at City. But I mean, the man should have 50 goals a year. It, it, again, I'm not saying he's not good. I'm saying he's right. not a good. Finisher. It, it, it it was funny because we 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 did start to argue about this game. Him and I, um, we were raising our voices, and then he tried to tell me that Portugal wanted third place and preferred to play Belgium over yeah, England. I remember you saying. I that. literally took these off. I was ready to walk off my own show. Um, no. And then he agrees that that you know that Gareth Southgate is is a clown or whatever, and, but. But he says that this talent is just too much for them to lose. But Mm. I look at this team, okay? And I've heard the rumors, too, that they're going to go to a three-man back line. I think that's going to kill them. It's going to turn into a five-man back line, first of all, because it's showing the probability of Reese James and Karen Trippia being the outside wingbacks. Playing in front of Jordan Henderson as well. And I could just see them retreating and retreating, especially the way that they have been playing so slow and trying to build up with slow, short passes. It just, I, I don't understand why England doesn't just be England. 
They well, have. That's exactly why you said it right there because they're England. <laughs> because they have the players to play the way that I think they've tried to play for years, and suddenly yeah. now they have the pieces, and they're like, "Well, we want to play this way instead." It's, it's well, too- <laughs> and, and what's interesting is again, I I will be waiting for team selections to yeah. place any of my bets because sure. I think what you're saying is exactly right. I think what they're going to do is set up defensively soak up mm-hmm. pressure and you know then try and play their you know ticky tack type of balls and that is for some reason what they think works because mm-hmm. they won their group do you know it's a record for no one's ever won a group scoring only two goals before like it's a that's, record for any international competition that's one to hang on your wall for you sure England. but <laughs> Germany is a team that we saw exactly how they can be broken down mm-hmm. with the French game and with the Hungary game, game. and with the yep. Portugal game. The way that you attack Germany is with very fast wingers yeah. and balls over the midfield in front of the defense because they leave so much gap because their defense is slow. So mm-hmm. they all sit back and their midfielders push up. And so there's all this space. And their wingbacks go way up, leaving yeah. a huge space. But who the fuck's going to do that in this lineup? Harry Kane isn't going to. Sterling doesn't do that. Right. What they should do is, you know, Jaden Sancho on one side and Marcus mm-hmm. Rashford on the other, and Kane yeah, in the middle. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, because then yep. you have Jaden Sancho and Marcus Rashford are two of the top five pace players in the yep. competition. Of course, and you don't play either one of them. And the way mm-hmm. you attack Germany is fast counters. And yeah. they're going to set up to not do that. And that, right. I mean, that's just like, if it is the case where Harry Kane and Raheem Sterling are starting with like Jordan Henderson and maybe and Calvin Phillips in the middle is holding mm-hmm. midfielders and then like a five back line with the wingbacks, I'm, mm-hmm. I just, I have to just bet on the under and probably Germany because they're just yeah. going to try and soak up pressure. But Germany's so intense with it that I can see them getting a goal. Now, if they start pace players, England should absolutely destroy Germany because Germany right. don't have a defense. We've seen that in every game they've played. Right. And only, I think, I mean, the only yeah. time they didn't give up two goals, they scored an own goal. Right. And what this is really going to lead to is them whipping in early crosses to Harry Kane, who's going to be outnumbered up against He's, three, three Germany center backs. He's going to get ahead of the ball. Like right. Sterling isn't going to get ahead of it. You know, it's right. just, I don't know, man. It's sad to watch because England should be so damn good. Mm-hmm. I agree. So that's the early game tomorrow. That's gonna we're gonna uh, obviously talk about that tomorrow night. And I'm looking forward to watching. I'm interested to see how it plays out. I'm, yeah. We'll, hopefully, both teams are as much at full strength as possible because you don't want to see this get decided on somebody being isolated. You know, um, Ben Chilwell still in isolation for some. Never shown a symptom. Um, because he had a conversation, you know, with Billy McGuire, with uh, Billy Gilmore. But, and... but for 20 minutes, like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, why? Yeah. Why are you with? I mean, yeah, okay, cool. You can be friends yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But it's insane that, like, you're, yeah. you're with an opposing player, or an opposing team's player for 20 minutes before a game you play them. Like, that's, you know, and that's one of the things with this modern game, the way it is. These guys are all just so friendly with each other because yeah. they all play in, in the same three or four leagues. They all see yeah. each other several times. And it's, you know, you talk about the nostalgic Euros or World Cups of, you know, the 80s. 
and mm. and there was a lot more rivalry in those you know there was the teams i think were a lot more united around their their team and their ethnicity and now it just kind of seems like they, they go they're all friendly with each other and it these games seem to lack just a little bit of edge sometimes and England, yeah. Scotland used to be unthinkable that the players would sit there for 20 minutes, you know, socializing before the game. Yeah, I mean, dude, it's it's fucking insane. I just, I, I just, it's like watching the NBA now. Like I was just, gonna say, yeah, here's a bunch of stars that are all friends and don't yep. really give a shit about the city that they're in, or no, you know, all they want is stats, contracts, and a couple of championships at yep. one point with whatever team. At some point with whatever team, as long as some of their friends are on it. So we got Sweden versus um, Ukraine to close out the round of 16 at Hamden Park. Um, right now here on FOTMOB, 73% of the 22,000 that voted are picking Sweden. I'm looking here, and 442 of Sweden against the 4321 of the Ukraine. Um, there's some players here, I think, that can make a difference in this match, obviously. Um, Yarmolenko comes to mind for the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And, um, again, Sweden have been hard to break down, except for those 15 minutes where Poland had, you know, attacked at will against them mm-hmm. and took two goals back. I'm not sure what we're going to see from, from either of these teams, to be honest with you. To me, this is, this is a toss up because, uh, these are teams that when they get to the later stages, we don't really have a body of work to go by as to how they're going to respond to the added pressure. Um, yeah. It's not a group stage anymore. You can't draw your way into the next round. So there's going to have to be some sort of risk going forward at some point. But mm. Sweden have, you know, a guy like Emil Forsberg that can be a difference maker, obviously. Um, Alexander Izak ha- can create chances. And I I like Sweden a little bit more, but it mm-hmm. wouldn't shock. And there's no result I don't think that would shock me in this one. Yeah, I I in general agree with you. It looks like the markets kind of are leaning that way. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm seeing, you know, pretty much across the board the Ukraine money line kind of mm-hmm. coming down a bit, and Sweden's going up a little. Um, the draw, you know, still pretty even keel at two ten ish. But the thing that I said. Uh, you know, a couple match days, not match days, a couple of days ago when I was on the pod with you is that mm-hmm. what I like about Sweden is their coaching has been spot on. Mm-hmm. Every single opponent, it is so clear that they've had a specific game plan opponent yeah. and how to exploit what weaknesses and how to play against them. That's why they got a draw against Spain. You know, it's, I mean, that's how they were able to get that lead up on uh, Poland and yes they did give up a couple of goals but really they controlled that whole game in my mm-hmm. opinion um, you know and, and you look at their game against Slovakia it, they got the job done it wasn't anything to mm-hmm. write home about but they only had 40% of the possession in that game but- and not a single shot on target from Slovakia mm-hmm that's like, right. I mean, and it's and that kind of statistic is so telling to me. Like Sweden didn't need any of the ball to do what they needed to do. With only forty percent possession against Slovakia, they had four shots on target, thirteen overall shots. You know, and and when they play Poland, it's very much the same. You have, uh, sorry, I had it right here. I fucking lost it. Here we go. Against Poland, you look at it, and they had 
33% of the possession yeah. against Poland. Mm-hmm. 11 shots, four on target, three right. goals right. with the win. I mean, mm-hmm. that kind of defensive play, but the strategy to know your opponent, to know how to defend against them, when you come up against, I'm not going to say weaker teams, but slightly weaker teams, mm-hmm. I mean, that is so key when you come up against a team like the Ukraine, who you were probably relatively evenly matched in terms of your attacking, but the way that they can sit in and defend and rely on, you know, Forsberg and and their men up front to get it done. I mean, Mm -hmm. you look at that Poland game and they took a two goal lead, two minutes later, give up a goal to Lewandowski, five minutes from time, give up the equalizer to Lewandowski. Mm -hmm. In the fourth minute of stoppage time, they managed to get yeah. one because, again, they know how to do it. Poland was trying to get that fucking final goal because they needed it, got caught on the counter. Exactly. Goal. To yeah. say that you won a game and scored three goals with 33% possession is just an impressive, I think, managerial display of knowing your opponent, knowing how to defend, and holding it in. I guarantee you, if they were France today and they were up 3-1 on Switzerland, you would not have seen a 3-3 game. Right, exactly, I agree. that worries me, you kind of mentioned, is they don't often get to this stage, neither of these Mm -hmm. teams, so it could be a little frazzled there in the last 15 minutes if it's close, if it's a one-goal game. But I like Sweden because of the way that I've seen them get wins and get results when they needed them Mm -hmm. with very, very little... uh, very little shakiness there weren't too many nerves and the Poland game obviously got close but really Sweden looked in full control you know against against Spain it never looked like Spain were going to score it looked like Sweden was playing for the draw they could have played all night yeah Yeah. they could have played all night now I kind of see a similar uh you know game for tomorrow they're going to let Yormolenko in the Ukraine come at Mm -hmm. them and then rely on that one counterattack that they make count and walk away with a very low scoring win. Yeah, I I agree with that. And you just like you said, the other thing is you pointed to their efficiency in front of goal too. Mm-hmm. Because four opportunities, three goals. That's as efficient as it gets in this competition. I mean, and again, you it's it's making the most of the possession they do have. Mm-hmm. versus some other teams that maximize possession but spend a lot of time with it in their own end or in the middle third and, and passing laterally, passing backwards. No, when Sweden have it, they're doing something with it. And mm-hmm. when they get in front of goal, they, they're efficient. They don't waste opportunities, obviously. Yeah. And I think that'll ultimately be the difference here. Um, again, it's a tough one to call, but uh, if I had to had to pick, I would, I would trust Sweden more to, to get the result. I mean, that's what it is. And really what it comes down to, I mean, from a betting standpoint, I'd say, you know, I'd look more to the under than I would mm-hmm. aside, but I would probably play Sweden and I probably end up, will end up playing Sweden because of the fact that I just trust them more. I've seen from them an ability to control a game without needing the ball. Right. And I haven't seen that from the Ukraine. In the Ukraine, we've seen chasing. We've seen, you know, some defensive collapses that led to goals. Like, I mean, their game against Portugal, or excuse me, <laughs> against Portugal, against um, uh, North Macedonia, they gave up a goal. They had to, you know, to win it. But still, it was it was shaky there for a minute. Yeah. Against the Netherlands, they score two and equalize and then let in that third goal. You know, it's it's that kind of inability to really make a a uh, 
a big statement or a big defensive push. Like mm-hmm. the Ukraine got it back to two, two and then let in the goal. They gave them the L, you know, the Ukraine played yeah. North Macedonia and don't get me wrong. I love the fact that North Macedonia scored, but they were up two nil and yeah. let in a goal. And then it was just holding on for dear life. Right. So I like the Ukraine to get it done. Austria blanked them. I think Sweden is a more talented defensive team sure. than Austria. I can see a, you know, nil-nil regulation or one-nil regulation. Yeah, uh, JMP just just commented that he likes Sweden to nil tomorrow. Um, yeah, you go, James, <laughs> making picks. That's right, that's right. Um, all right, anything else you want to you hit on? How would you enjoy the weekend's matches before we go? Uh, again, I was super sad about the Portugal game. Yeah. I was so excited about Portugal's opportunity. They were the better team in that game, but mm-hmm. Belgium just knew how to, knew how to hold it. And yeah. uh, I'm sad that Ronaldo didn't get the, you know, record by himself and he stays tied. Yeah. Uh, but it, he'll be playing in the world cup. Yeah. There's world cup qualifying in September. So, There's a friendly yeah. against Qatar in September. So that, yeah, I mean, he'll, he'll <laughs> play in the world cup. He'll get a goal yeah. somewhere probably from the penalty and whatever. I think uh, I was very frustrated with the Italy game. I think Mm -hmm. that was one of the best examples. I mean, I, I don't think it happens, but like if the books ever needed a team to lose or draw in regulation, it was Italy. And Mm -hmm. I, I mean, the entire world was on Italy in 90 minutes they didn't, and as soon right. as it went to extra time, I was like, guaranteed Italy immediately score. Yeah. And in fact, in the 70th minute, I'm like, what the fuck are we watching? Please bring on Chiesa. And of course, he gets yeah. a fantastic goal. Yeah, um, he does. Yeah, Italy, Italy played their game. I'm surprised they conceded, but extra time, mm-hmm. legs are tired, you know. The Netherlands game was shocking. Frank DeBoer special. Yeah. No adjustments whatsoever led to the Czech Republic getting, in my opinion, a deserved win there. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. You know, and then I I was saying this over the weekend <laughs> when I was putting out my plays, I was like, I'm playing with my heart, not my head on this one, but Denmark, Denmark money yeah. to the max. They absolutely wiped Wales away. Yeah. Uh, I am I'm extremely excited to see them face the Czech Republic because I think that's a very winnable game for them. Yeah. And the further they go, the better the storyline is with of the course. Christian Eriksen thing. I mean, you know, that was fantastic to see, but I'm thoroughly disappointed uh with really how Italy played, you know, in the end they got it done and I think they'll continue mm-hmm. to keep winning. I think they have a chance against Belgium, but you know, Belgium has a lot of injuries, so mm-hmm. it's not like full squad. And uh, but yeah, disappointed with Portugal. Netherlands were trash, but hey, <laughs> well done to the Czechs. They keep surprising. Yeah, no people. doubt. And you know, I I I didn't see that coming. I I thought that the Czechs oh, were not going to be were not going to be a a test for for the Dutch. I didn't think this was going to be tough for them, and yeah. I was proven wrong. But again, to to touch on the Portugal game, I talked about it yesterday, but um having time to, to process it, you know, I still stick by what I said that dropping mm. to third place in the group was a mistake. And I think they underestimated the importance of that. I, I had it out with somebody on Twitter yesterday and uh, ended up calling them out right here on the show because uh, I think that that Germany match was mismanaged and the repercussions of that was having to face Belgium and not having to face England. And I'll, Maybe I'll be proven wrong tomorrow when if England, you know, wipe the floor with Germany. But I yeah. still, at this point, hold firm that it would have been a much better opponent 
in this round of 16 than to take on Belgium. Mm-hmm. And Belgium's just an experienced team that knows what they have to do to adjust to win. And yeah. I also said that I think Roberto Martinez understood that he didn't want to leave his team open to a counter we, against Portugal. And especially once they got the lead, they said, all right, if you're going to score, you're going to build it up from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And you're going to construct the goal. We're not going to, you're not going to pull us out of position and, and you're not going to get a freebie. And I, you know, I credit to them. They, they did what they had to do to win. When you, when you finish on your, your one opportunity, you, you deserve to win the game. Um, I don't always buy into the whole thing that, you know, I don't like when people say you dominated a match if you didn't score a goal. Because at the end of the day, we're there to score goals. And the the team that advances is the one that scores more goals. So, again, put they put themselves in a situation to have to face Belgium. They fell behind because – and actually, I, did, I, I wish I had seen this video before. I did the podcast last night. I saw mm. it after. I put it out on Instagram this morning. But it was a, a breakdown of, of Belgium's goal, and it actually comes from the broken press. And – it is actually Thibaut Coutois who, with the ball on his foot, fakes the clearance, cuts back, and makes the first pass out of the back. Bernardo and Renato Sanchez both collapse on the same Belgian player. He one-touches it out of pressure, and that's why Bernardo is not back to pick up Thorgan Hazard. Um, it all came from the press being broken down too simply, all because two guys stepped to the same, to the same player. So... In big matches, it's little details like that that make the difference. When you have two evenly matched teams, it comes down to little tiny details like that. And, I mean, they I wish they'd have done more. I wish they'd have done better. But, you Hell know, yeah. all the luck in the world five years ago. Five years ago, one of the, you know, uh, Guerrero's ball off the post goes in. And five years ago, Belgium's, you know, Rui Patricio saves that. This time mm-hmm. he went the wrong way. He got caught. He got caught not setting his feet. He it looked like he cheated to the near post. I'm not sure if he couldn't see, but he his first step was to the near post and realized the ball was swinging the other direction, and had to jump off his wrong foot and he couldn't extend himself yeah. far enough to get to it. It it's the little things, but um, you know I think again um that Belgium Italy match is almost like a semifinal as well. Now I could see oh, whoever yeah. wins that going to the final uh, to play the winner of tomorrow's England Germany match. That could very easily be the final we're talking about on July the 11th. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, unfortunately I would, if it was healthy squads, I'd say Belgium for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, but yeah, with the injuries they picked up against Portugal, especially, yeah. I mean, if KDB can't go. Yeah. That, that's, they're a whole different team without him. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, if KDB can't go, it's probably yeah. curtains. I don't want to say that because it's Belgium and they're a fantastic team, but mm-hmm. with the amount of injuries oh, they definitely, have, they can't yeah. afford to be losing their best player. It, it, it's definitely a match to match situation. And I'm sure they're looking at it no further than the very next match. And yeah. JMP says, I think what we've already, oh, he's going to say that the winner of England and Germany wins the whole thing. Yeah, it's possible. I'm. I mean, England's going to be I playing at home, it. so I can yeah. see it. But if for some reason the final is like England Czech Republic, they will one hundred percent lose. <laughs> they will find a way. They will find a way. Remember, where there's a will, there's a there's way a for way. England to fuck it up. But hey, it'd be great if they didn't. It'd be great if they didn't. I just. 
and I, I go back. There's an English it's proverb. It's it, it it's very simple. It's you know, football mm. is a game of eleven versus eleven, and after ninety minutes, the Germans win. So that <laughs> then I, I again, I, I think Germany's going to win tomorrow. Um, I think that. What does he have here? We so. have another lose right. to pen, losing pens to the yes. That's another reason that I won't trust England. Is there hit? I know oh they want to shoot out against Colombia in the World Cup, but if first of all, Germany have never lost a shootout. And Dude, if it goes to pens, it's I mean England's done. <laughs> I mean the psychological <laughs> effect of that. I mean they're they will sleep tonight having nightmares about penalties. Dude, so, other than Rashford and Kane, who do you trust yeah. on that team to take penalties? Nobody. Nobody. Like the entire <laughs> German team could take penalties. Yeah, exactly. And Manuel Neuer in goal, I mean, he's going to save at least one. Oh, 100%. And, I mean, and, and I, would be, I would be surprised if England hit four. Yeah, it would be surprising. They They don't historically do that. No, um, they do not. Although now probably they're going to like win by penalties all the way through the Because final. we're saying this here and this is the type <laughs> of tournament it's been. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. So that's going to do it for this episode. Um, those of you listening on the podcast, get that in the morning. There'll be a recap of the weekend's round in the Brazilian League. Tomorrow I'll have a Copa America recap. I said yeah, it'd be tonight. They're playing right now. So I'm obviously not going to well, be recapping it right now. Uh, it's over. <laughs> It's over. Uh, so that'll come your way tomorrow. I think Argentina's ahead four to one right now. So uh, against Bolivia, a pretty sad Bolivia side. But um, that'll all be coming your way in the next uh, couple days. So thank you again for joining me. Follow him at Fade My Play. Follow me at PTB underscore media. And always check out old episodes if you want at www.parkinthebusmedia.com. They're all up there. And I'll see you tomorrow for another day of round of 16 action. Tomorrow we close out the round of 16. We'll know all the quarterfinal matchups, and I'm sure we'll get into what we think about those matchups tomorrow. All right. Mm -hmm. Thank you, everybody. Have a good night, and we'll see you tomorrow. You're listening to the Parking the Bus podcast here on the BTB Media Network, your English language home of Copa Libertadores. And welcome back to episode 58 of Parking the Bus. Welcome to the podcast exclusive segment only available here on the podcast, not available on any of the live streams. This is covering the latest action in the Brasileirão, Brazilian football. As you know, the league does not stop for Copa America. It is, it is not going to stop for the Olympics. It is not going to stop for World Cup qualifying this year. This league is going to play straight through. So... Uh, before before we get into the the action um, on the pitch this week, there was a draw on the 22nd of June, which was just a few days ago. And that draw was for the Copa do Brasil, round of 16, the Brazilian Cup. So I have the results of that draw. And the first leg of this round of 16 matches will be played on July the 28th, with the second leg being played on August the 4th. And the draw goes as following. Um, in round of 16, matchup number one, São Paulo will host the first leg and draw. They draw Vasco da Gama, 
in the round of 16. Vasco da Gama, of course, relegated last season from the Serie A. They are in Serie B now. And then Krikiuma, um, lower level side. Krikiuma, they, they have come out of the... They've come out of the Santa Catarina Championship. Okay, they play in the in the they qualified through their state championship, as does everybody uh, in this competition. Um, Krikiuma will host Fluminense in the first leg of the round of sixteen, and Krikiuma, as we said, from the Campeonato Catarinense, and they also play in the Brasileiro. Um, Serie C. So Fluminense, the first division side, or the Serie A side, who are currently also in the Copa Libertadores, they will get they get the draw and they will travel to Santa Catarina for the first leg. Vitoria um, will. They are from Salvador, of course, in the state of Bahia. Um, Vitoria will host Grêmio of Porto Alegre in the first leg. Uh, they match up in this round of 16, the second leg, obviously at the Arena Grêmio in Rio Grande do Sul in the city of Porto Alegre. The next round of 16 matchup is Fortaleza, one of the teams that are shining in the early part of this season. They will take on CRB or Club Regatas do Brasil. And they come from the they come from Alagoas, and they qualified also through their state championship. While Flamengo, the defending Brasileirão champions, will play ABC. Um, ABC is the team that comes from the city of Natal in Rio Grande do Norte. So uh, the Natal side, ABC or ABC, will take on Flamengo. Atlético Paranaense will take on Atlético Goianense in a battle of Serie A sides. Atlético Mineiro will take on Bahia in another matchup of Serie A sides. And lastly, Santos will take on Juazeirense. Juazeirense come from the city of Juazeiro, Juazeiro, excuse me, in the state of Bahia as well. Okay, and at the end of of these two matches, the eight teams that advance will be will be drawn on. They'll be drawn in August of 2021. That's where the draw will take place for the quarterfinals. So that's your news on. The Copa do Brasil. Moving now to some transfer news in the Brasileirão that I haven't hit it on yet. It is transfer season, so some players have moved. Uh, Corinthians have released their player, Danilo Avilar, the center back, leaves um, on, on mutual consent. He has a market value of 2.2 million U.S. dollars. Paulo Vitor has moved from Botafogo in the Serie B to Internacional in the Serie A for an undisclosed fee. His contract will be good until December 2024. Um, Red Bull Bragantino make another another signing, a good one here. They pick up Bruno Prachedes from Internacional of Porto Alegre for a fee of 6.6 million U.S. And Bruno Prachedes will move to Red Bull Bragantino. And he now has a contract until June 2026. Liger will move on a free transfer from Red Bull Bragantino to Bahia. While Everton will move from Sports Recife 
on loan to CSA of the Serie B for the remaining, until November 2021, the remainder of the season. Chapecoense have sold their central midfielder, Lucas Mineiro. He is going to Portugal to play for Sporting Braga. He was sold for a fee of 1.7 million U.S. And he will have a contract with the Guerreiros Dominio in the Portuguese First Division until June 2026. Felipe Aguilar has left Atlético Paranaense to go to Portugal as well. He is going to join Nacional on the island of Madeira on loan until June 2022. Wellington Ney will leave Fortaleza on a free transfer and he goes to Serie B to join Giants Cruzeiro. While we have some more here, as some more players have gone down to Serie B and the big this the big big news okay it has not been officialized it looks like but um the big transfer that's in the front pages everywhere is of course that of Flamengo's Gerson Gerson is on his way to Olympique Marseille in the French Ligue 1 and Gerson will be going I'm going to verify this right now for the amount but Gerson um, played his final match for Flamengo last Wednesday night in a match against Fortaleza, which I'm going to talk about that match in just a minute, as it was his farewell match. And it was kind of interesting that um, that he's still playing, that, that Marseille would, would make this deal and then still allow him to play one last match. But it's according to GetFootballNewsFrance.com, Marseille strike a 20 million euro deal to sign Gerson from Flamengo. And La Provence report that the League One side have um, made this deal. It is for $20 million, but there are also bonuses um, for the 24-year-old Brazilian. Crucial, crucial key member of this, this Flamengo side the last 18 months. And actually, on YouTube, uh, Marseille have already... Uh, They've already put out a welcome video to Gerson, um, welcoming him to Marseille. So that's the big transfer. Uh, moving on, though, to the Brasileirão and to the results of the past uh, the past two match days. As you know, last midweek there was a round, and now um, this past weekend we've just concluded a round as well. I'll start the recap here on Wednesday. Uh, June the 23rd, okay, it, it, it gets started in Goiânia, and it is Atlético Goianense with a big victory over Fluminense. The Rio de Janeiro side travel to Goiânia and lose thanks to an 81st-minute goal by Nathan, and Atlético Goianense pick up the three points. Also on Wednesday, the big one I just talked about, it was a battle of, of the defending champions versus the early sensation in the league. It is Flamengo hosting Fortaleza. And let's pull this one up and talk about it for just a few minutes here as the teams come into the match. Fortaleza were leaders, or they were joint leaders, coming into the match unbeaten. They are one of the sensations of this early part of the Brasileirão. Um, Through their first five matches, they were unbeaten, like we said. And their first victory in the Brasileirão was on match day one and 
pulling it up here. They started off with a 2-1 victory on the road at Atletico Mineiro against one of the title contenders, in my opinion. Fortaleza that day went 2-1, and then they go on to win 5-1 just a few days, about a week later, in their home opener in the Brasileirão. They take on Internacional, last year's runner-up, and they slammed them 5-1. Fortaleza on that match would see, we talked about this last time we talked about it, they get goals from TT, Robson, Pikachu, an own goal from Gabriel from Internacional. Prechedes, who's now on his way, as we just said, to Red Bull Bragantino, had a goal in this one for Internacional. And Paulista in the 86th minute. Fortaleza um, win their first two matches. They then win in the cup against Sierra 3-0. Beat Sport Recife on the 13th of, of June to start with three straight victories. But then they drop points in back-to-back matches Coming into this one. So they drop points in a nil-nil draw on the road at Atletico Goianense. And then drop points again at home against Fluminense 1-1. And on this night against this team, against the champions on Gerson's farewell match, it is Flamengo coming away with the victory 2-1 over Fortaleza. And this was a match that was definitely a tale of two halves. I'll pull up the lineups quickly. Fortaleza playing a 3-4-1-2 with Felipe Alves in goal. Three across the back. Tinga, Marcelo Conceição, and Titi with five in front of him. Uh, four in front of him, excuse me. Iago Pikachu, one of the stars of this team. Wide on the right. Ederson and Felipe in the center of midfield with Lucas Crispim down the left. Mateus playing as a number 10 behind the two strikers. Wellington Paulista and David. Now for Flamengo, remember they got players away on national team duty. No Mauricio Isla, no Gabigol, uh, no Everton Ribeiro, among others. So Rogério Ceni comes out with this 4-4-2. It's, it's Diego Alves in goal. The right back in place of Isla is Mateuzinho. William Arão and Rodrigo Caio are the center back pairing with Felipe Luiz as the left back in midfield, saying goodbye one last time. It is Gerson getting the start. He's partnered with Diego. And then Michael starts down the left while Vicino starts down the right. And in attack, it is Pedro teaming with none other than Bruno Henrique. And Bruno Henrique would pick up two goals in this one. He'd be the man of the match. He scores in the 21st and 43rd. I thought his goal in the 21st was a little bit of a... As we call it in, port, in continental Portugal, in Europe, we call it un frangueiro, un frango. And that's a, has, that, that word has a completely different context in Brazil. I'm not going to repeat what that word means in Brazil. I don't mean it in that context. I'm using it in my Portuguese. It, it, is, it is the word for a bad goal, a weak goal. As Felipe Alves, the goalkeeper for Fortaleza, should have done better. But in the 43rd... Bruno Henrique doubles the lead, and Flamengo go into the team room at halftime ahead 2-0. But in the second half, it was all Fortaleza. Uh, Flamengo came out a little bit too too comfortable, I think. And right off the bat, 46 minute, David scores for Fortaleza, making it 2-1. And for the rest of the second half, Fortaleza would increase the pressure. They'd be putting it on. Pikachu would be would be creating things down the right. Uh, he is a good player, and without 
any type of finishing, though. They just would not be able to pull level. And Flamengo would would see out the result. They would win 2-1. to one. A nice moment. Despite the stadium being empty, there, it was a nice moment when there was the substitution made in the... Where was it made? And actually, Gerson played the entire match. Oh, for some reason, in my mind, I remember him being substituted. But it looks like Gerson played the entire match. Did not come out. And I uh, did that's confirmed. He did not come out. Uh, plays the entire 90 minutes. And then thanks on television. Thanks the Flamengo faithful for always supporting him. Flamengo fans everywhere um, expressing messages of gratitude towards this 24-year-old player, Gerson, as he now takes on a new adventure in a new league. And he's the latest Brazilian to go for big money to Europe. And he'll now go play for Jorge Sampioli. The Argentinian manager who most recently managed Atletico Mineiro. Um, he's a player that Sampioli wanted, and he's now the man. Sampioli now the manager at Marseille, and Gerson is is his prized target. And I'll be interested to watch Ligue 1 this fall and see how Gerson adapts. He's been in Europe before, and it didn't go well. Flamengo brought him back, and now they have sold him. They made a nice little profit on it, so. All around a good piece of football business. Also, going on at the same time, I was watching two matches at one time that night. Last Wednesday night, of course, it was after watching the Euro. Um, I had these two matches. I had Flamengo versus Fortaleza. And this one, a team I've told you every time I've talked Brazilian football. And I'm going to continue to beat this drum because I think there's something special in this team. Watch out for Red Bull Bragantino. They go and they beat the defending Copa Libertadores champions Palmeiras three to one, and I'm gonna give you the lineups in this one. This one was played obviously, um, not obviously, but this was played at the Estadio Nabi Shedid in Bragança Paulista, in the state of São Paulo, and the defending Copa Libertadores champions Palmeiras come in. They're of course managed by Abel Ferreira. While Red Bull Bragantino are managed by Mauricio Barbieri. And for Palmeiras, their goalkeeper, Weverton, is away. He is with Brazil at the Copa America. He got the start this past weekend against Ecuador. And in this one, it is Vinicius getting the start in his place. Mateus Rocha, Felipe Melo, and Renan Victor are the three in the back in a 3-5-2. The wingbacks are Mikey on the right and Vitor Luiz on the left. The center triangle in the midfield, uh, Gustavo Scarpa, Danilo, and Rafael Vega playing behind the forwards, William and Deverson. And for Red Bull Bragancinu, start getting familiar with these names. The goalkeeper is Clayton Schwengber. They're playing 4-2-3-1, four across the back. Adelan is the, le- is the right back. Fabricio Bruno, Nathan, and Weverson. Not the same Weverson, obviously. That plays goalkeeper for her, for, for uh, Palmeiras. Uh, double pivot in midfield. Raul and Lucas Evangelista. I've talked about Lucas Evangelista a number of times on this podcast. A player I really, really enjoy watching. The three attacking midfielders in front of him. Artur Guimarães on the right. Ramirez in the center. And Elio Junior, Elinho on the left. Playing behind the striker, Italo. 
Italo is the man of the match. And what a performance Italo puts on. Hat trick for the striker. Goals in the 10th, 45th, and 88th minute while um, Palmeiras get a goal from Bren, Bren Lopes, the hero of the Copa Libertadores final. He gets one um, also featuring in the match of some of the more recognizable names in Palmeiras. Gabriel Menino comes in in the 69th. Wesley in the 70th, Hani in the 77th, uh, Luis Adriano, the longtime experienced striker, one of their Copa Libertadores heroes as well. Luis Adriano comes on, on the, in the 77th as well. For Red Bull, we would see Rafael Luis in the 59th, Edgimar Fraga in the 72nd, Thomas Cuello in the, tw- in the 72nd as well, Leonardo Re- Realpi in the 88th. So... Again, Red Bull Bragantino, three more points. They are impressive. Um, also going on last Wednesday night, São Paulo 2-2 draw at home to Cuiabá. Thursday, uh, another full slate of matches. América Mineiro 1, Juventude 1, uh, Sierra 2, uh, Atlético Mineiro 1, Chapecoense 1, Internacional 2, Corinthians 1, Sport Recife 1. Sorry, Corinthians 2, Sports Recife 1, Bahia 2, Atlético Paranaense, another team I told you to watch for. They lose. They only get one. So Bahia beat Atlético Paranaense 2-1. to one. They beat the Hurricanes, as they're known. And it is the first defeat for Antonio Oliveira Jr., the Portuguese manager of Atlético Paranaense. And then Grêmio Porto Alegre win 2-2, or I should say draw 2-2 with Santos. We move to Sunday now, and this is round seven. Upset in the first match of the day. It is Juventud versus the champions Flamengo. That's right, Juventud versus Flamengo. This match played at the Estadio Alfredo Jaconi in Caxias do Sul in the state of Rio Grande do Sul. And the recently promoted side, Juventud, get the victory. Their goal comes from Peixoto in the 26th minute. That's Mateus Peixoto. Flamengo unable to find the back of the net in this match. Flamengo would field roughly the same team that, in fact, the only change, of course, is that Gerson is out of the midfield. João Gomes steps in for him. And also Gustavo Henrique plays in place of Rodrigo Caio. Everything else is the same. But Flamengo unable to find the back of the net, unable to get an equalizer, and the champions lose for the first time this season. Also on Sunday, Fluminense one, Corinthians one, Atlético Paranaense two, Chapecoense two, Grêmio nil, Fortaleza nil. They started hot. They've dropped points now in four straight matches. That is Fortaleza. Palmeiras with a big victory, a big response after the loss to Bragantino. Palmeiras three, Bahia two, América Mineiro one, Internacional one, Ceará one, São Paulo one, Santos two, Atlético Mineiro nil, Sport Recife nil, Cuiabá nil. And then the final match. Just concluded a little while ago. I was watching it with one eye while recording the the live portion of the show, the the the, the live stream that you may have seen. But the you know the main segment of this show, um, it was in Goiânia. It was Atlético Goianiense nil, Red Bull Bragantino one. Red Bull Bragantino would get the goal from 
Weverton in this one. And the man of the match was Lucas Evangelista. Another three points for Red Bull Bragancino. So let's go to the table now. And while I pull up the table, I'm also going to pull up the team of the week. It will be last week's team of the week. But in the next episode, I will cover uh, round seven's team of the week. And we look at it here as I pull it up. And in first place now through seven rounds with seven matches played, 17 points. That's five victories and two draws. It is Red Bull Bragancino, the team I told you to watch out for. The team I believe will come in the top six this year. We'll, we'll book a spot in Copa Libertadores. Second place is the other team I told you to watch out for. Now, remember, these teams are less affected by the international game going on right now. They're less... They do not have players, or at least nearly the amount of players away at Copa America right now. But it is Atlético Paranaense in second with 13 points. They're four off the pace, but with a match in hand. The Hurricanes have four victories, one draw, one defeat. Ten goals, four, five against, and they sit in second with 13 points. Also on 13 points in third is the Copa do Brasil and Copa Libertadores. Winners, it is Palmeiras. They have 13 points, like we said, four victories, one draw, two defeats for the Verdão. Fortaleza sit in fourth right now with 12 points from seven matches, three victories, three draws, one defeat. Bahia are fifth right now on 11, as are sixth place Santos with 11 as well. Atlético Goianense seventh with 10. They lead three teams that right now sitting on 10 points. Uh, Atlético Mineiro and Fluminense also on 10 points, but Atlético Goianense have a match in hand. In 10th place, it is the champions Flamengo with 9 points, but they have 2 matches in hand, only having played 5 so far. 3 victories, 2 defeats. So I I shouldn't say first defeat. It was the second defeat for Flamengo. I honestly don't recall them losing another match, but there it is. They, They in fact did. And um, it is nine points for Flamengo in 10th place right now from five matches. Corinthians are 11th on nine points as well from seven matches. Sierra 12th right now, the final Copa Sudamericana spot. Seven matches played as well, nine points. Also on nine points or still with nine points, Internacional de Porto Alegre and Juventud. 13th and 14th, respectively. 15th is Sport Recife. They have five. Cuiabá has four they're just out of the relegation zone on goal difference right now with the minus one goal difference. And just in the relegation zone, it is one of the Giants, the absolute Giants. It is Sao Paulo. They are 17th with four points from five matches. Chapecoense are 18th with four points from seven matches. America Mineiro, or America, uh, yeah, America Mineiro, three points from seven matches, while Grêmio of Porto Alegre. Our bottom of the table, they've only played five matches. They have two in hand, but they've only got two points. Two draws, three defeats. The league leaders right now in goals in the Brasileirão, it is Red Bull Bragantinos. Italo at the top along with Gilberto from Bahia, while Mateus Peixoto also of is also with four goals, I should say, and he is of Juventude. Rodrigo Muniz of Flamengo is... Next, he is fourth on three goals, 
also with three goals, a whole host of them. Edgy Nielsen of Internacional, Bruno Henrique of, of Flamengo, Breno Lopes of Palmeiras, Marinho of, São pa- of uh, Santos, excuse me, Iago Pikachu of Fortaleza, and um, Artur of Red Bull Bragantino. That's Artur um, Guimarães, of course. The team of the week for round six, which was the Wednesday, the midweek matches. The goalkeeper is from Chapecoense. It is, it is João Paulo. The back. So this week, the team of the week is is in a four-two-three-one. The right back is from um, América Mineiro. It is Eduardo. While the center back from a Atletico Goianes, Natan is also in the team of the week. Next to Leo Paredes of Santos and Leo of, of São Paulo is the left back. In midfield, this double pivot of a midfield, Ravanelli from Chapecoense and Juninho. Juninho of Valora of América Mineiro. While in front of them, you have Rossi from Bahia. You have... Emiliano Rigoni of São Paulo and Bruno Henrique of Flamengo playing behind the striker who had a hat trick. It's Italo of Red Bull Bragantino. And that, my friends, is going to do it for round six and seven of the Brasileirão. Again, next week, there'll be more coverage of this league in, in a bonus segment just like this. This is the way that we'll be covering the show throughout the duration of Euro 2020. Don't forget tomorrow night bonus content covering the final match, uh, covering the final match day of the Grupo Sud in the Copa America. Thank you for listening, and I'll catch you all tomorrow. It's the Mister Mike Augustine. You signing off. Don't forget at PTB underscore Media on Instagram and on Twitter. Good night. In a pool of light Electricity in the room tonight Born from fire Sparks flying from the sun Hey, I hardly know you Can I confess? I feel your heart Beating in my chest If you come with me Tonight is gonna be the one Cause you faith and no fear for the fight You pull hope from defeat in the night There's an image of you in my mind Could be mad but you might just be right
heart that hurts is a heart that works From a broken place, that's where the victory's won Cause you fail and no fear for the fight You pull hope from defeat in the night There's an image of you in my mind Could be mad, but you might just be right 